How's everybody? Everybody good today? Good, good, good. We're working through the fruit of the Spirit. It's a really interesting, um, it's been interesting for me, I hope it's been interesting for you. We've been looking at the, the fruit of the Spirit, and, and you'll notice it says the fruit, not the fruits. And so this sort of is a job description of God. This is what God is. He is, you know, it says God is love. And uh, so love, joy, peace, patience, these are the things that God um, exudes. That's who he is. That's his character. And so the idea about abiding, Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. You'll, you'll be fruitful. You'll be like this. The closer to Jesus we are, the more like Jesus we are. And so I remember as a kid, um, uh, I went home this week for a funeral back to Kentucky, and one of our... Um, one of my friends growing up was older, was my sister's age, a little older than me. And, and you know, when you're a, a kid and there's somebody in your youth group that's kind of cool, then you want to be like them. And, and I always kind of thought about, hey, you know, I want to be like that guy. And so this is the idea of abiding. You want to be like somebody. And so the, the notion is Jesus said, hey, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you can be like me is kind of what he says. And so today we're at gentleness. And I got to tell you, it's football season. Uh, I'm not really amped about talking about gentleness. And, you know, I'm, I'm amped about talking about people getting hit and, and you know, uh, uh, personal fouls and all that kind of stuff. But uh, gentleness is really important. And there's a strength to gentleness that we have to understand. And to get the context of what we're going to talk about today, you have to understand a little bit of the environment Jesus grew up in. And when Jesus talks and says certain things about gentleness, now it was difficult to be gentle in Jesus' world. They were occupied, the Israelites were occupied by another uh, government, the Romans. And the Romans were severe, and they were harsh. And they would let you do what you wanted to do as long as, they let the Jews do what they wanted to do as long as the Jews paid their taxes and didn't try to cause an insurrection. They had Basically, two rules for the Jews. Behave yourself and pay your taxes. And we'll let you be the way we want to be. And the Jews hated it. Because the Romans represented everything that they weren't. Uh, the Jews are monotheists. They believe in one God. The Romans believed in multiple gods. Uh, the Jews lived by a code, the, the Ten Commandments. They were moral. Uh, the Romans were immoral. They were kind of like, anything goes. And so it's into this world that Jesus was born. We don't even understand it because you and I don't have oppression like that. But uh, Jesus lived under an oppressive regi regime. And so it's in this environment that Paul writes that the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Now, we live in a world where people are we're taught that strength is king. There are some best-selling books. A couple of them were Winning Through Intimidation and Looking Out for Number One, written by a guy named Robert Ringer. But what we have to understand is the opposite of gentleness is, is roughness and violence and oppression. And so it's into that world that Jesus speaks, that Paul speaks, that, that we have to say, okay, well, this is... Who we are, and so the question is this: Am I going to be strong enough to be gentle? Because our natural inclination, and we have movies about this over and over and over again. Best-selling movies are a lot about revenge, 
And we think that revenge is an indicator of strength, and yet there's this idea in Scripture that says, you know what, strength is really in uh, self-control. We're going to talk about that more like next week. So there are a couple of misunderstandings about gentleness. One is that gentleness is weakness. But Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Uh, the word gentleness and meekness kind of go together. They're synonymous, and so we'll talk about those together a lot. But the, the word is praus. That's the Greek word for um, gentleness or meekness. It literally means to, um, to put a bridle on a horse. So I'm, I'm not a horse person. I live near a horse, uh, kind of an equestrian center. I'm not far from that. But from what I understand, wild horses have to be broken. And in the Greek word, it would, the Greek language, it would be they have to be meeked. Uh, wild horses have to be meeked. And I've seen enough westerns where I've seen bucking broncos and guys eventually break a horse to accept a bridle and a saddle. And that is sort of the idea of meekness in Scripture. It is power under control. So, Dwayne, when I was a youth pastor in Dallas, I had a kid named um, Jeremy, and, and he visited one time, and so I decided I was going to go visit his house. And I knock on his door, and I hear, I hear, um, it, you could tell there were animal sounds, but I didn't know exactly what kind of animal. It was like a deep growl. Uh, it was not like a yippy little, you know, chihuahua, but I was thinking maybe it's a dog, maybe it's a lion. I don't know. It's like, who keeps a lion in their house? That was weird, but uh, it was kind of this dull uh, roar, kind of a bark, and, um, and Jeremy opens the door, and there are two of the biggest dogs. They're bull mastiffs. It's this size dog. He's got two of them in the house. And he was happy to see me, and I was happy to see him. Not so much the dogs, but I was really happy to see Jeremy. And so Jeremy grabs the dogs by the collar, and he's literally leaning back. These dogs aren't happy to see me. He's kind of parallel to the floor, and he said, come on in, they think you're scared. Like, well, those are very perceptive animals. You know, they really, uh, they have an instinct for that kind of stuff, Jeremy. So I walked in, and I mean, they are looking at me, these dogs are looking at me like, oh, <laughs> a, a treat. Uh, uh, the, the, my next meal is. A... So I sit in this chair. I will never forget it. I sit in this chair, and this dog's face, which is bigger than a horse, is right here. It's, it's like, um, what was that movie that, like that? Uh, Sigourney Weaver was in it. What's that movie? Alien. It was, like a, it was like a scene from Alien with a big dog. And I thought to myself, if I sneeze, he's going to bite my face off. I mean, a sudden movement and I'm dead. And so our whole conversation, I'm trying to concentrate on, hey, Jeremy, come back to church. Well, all I'm really concentrating on is, Lord, thank you for getting me this far. Could you get me out of here? I mean, it's like, I just really want to be done. And so I, um, <laughs> I stand up to leave and the dog jumps up and put his paws on, I mean, we're face-to-face, -face, me and the dog, and he rips my shirt, and I was never so happy to be uh, gone in all my life. It's like good grief, but it, it, it was power under control, and I'm thankful um, they were kind of under control. Uh, there's this idea that gentleness is, I could do something, I, I just choose not to. 
I love this quote. It's a guy named Ralph Scottman. He was a Methodist preacher back in the day, and he said, Nothing is so strong as gentleness, and nothing is more gentle than real strength. It is a soft touch with a strong hand. I just like the, the sound of that. Gentleness isn't weakness. and Neither is gentleness cowardice. Sometimes we think that you know to be gentle is to be cowardly, and that's not the case at all. One of my favorite movies is The Princess Bride. You may have seen it. Uh, there's a great scene in there with a wedding. <laughs> Every time I do a wedding, I have to really con- uh, uh, restrain myself from saying marriage is what we're here for today. You know, it's really hard for me, and so I, I have to really control myself. Because really, that's the greatest scene, probably in any movie ever. But there was a, a character on there, uh, Andre the Giant, seven feet five, weighed about 500 pounds. He became famous in wrestling, and I'm going to give you a little heads up, and if you don't want to know this, uh, do earmuffs. Wrestling is fake. Uh, so I just want you to know that. Uh, Dwayne likes it. If you want to talk about it, Dwayne will talk to you about it. But uh, it's it's uh, yeah. So anyway, but this guy's huge. At seven five, you can lift some people up over your head. But from what I understand, he kind of had this persona in wrestling where he was you know the roughest and meanest and all that kind of thing. And I watched a documentary on his life the other day, and it was while he was huge and enormous and had power uh, kind of beyond measure. Uh, personally, in his real life, when he wasn't on camera, when he wasn't in the ring, he was a gentle soul. One time, I love this story about him, one time he uh, was gifted tickets to a a theater, I forget now exactly what it was, and he didn't accept because they were kind of in front, and he said, whoever's behind me won't be able to see. Uh, I just think that's a sweet thing to do, and so there's this idea that, that we are weak or we're timid when we're gentle. And that's just not the idea that the Bible presents to us about gentleness. One of the great minds in Christian thought in the last century is a guy named Dallas Willard. If you've ever read any of his stuff, Dallas Willard, I I read because it's a discipline of mine. I read his stuff because it's a discipline. Not so much because I get a ton out of it, but... Um, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis or Dallas Willard, those are guys that really write. For, for me, it's like it's dense. It's really like every sentence is weighty. You know, some people are some people are puff pastry, and some people are Cliff Bars. And uh, and so he's a Cliff Bar. It's dense, and it's it's um, got tons of content. And so um, Dallas Willard is this just. He, he passed a couple of years ago, but he had this intellect that was just unbelievable. He taught philosophy and just, just really, really bright. And he had a student in his class at one class who, you know, these guys try to show who they are and that kind of thing. And he, he asked a question, this guy asked, kind of questioned Willard's thought process or something. And, and everyone in the room knew that Dallas Willard could drop the hammer. I mean, he had the ability, and he, he could have just kind of filleted this kid. And rather, he said, well, I think on that question is a good place for us to stop for the day. And he dismissed the class. And one of Willard's friends came up to him after it was over with, and he said, why did you, not, why did you just not tear that guy apart? And he said, today I'm practicing the discipline of not having to get the last word. 
And sometimes it really isn't discipline. I mean, that's the kind of stuff he said. It's like, who says that kind of stuff? Uh, he's the one who said, uh, our main goal in life is to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. If you can eliminate hurry from your life, um, all the pieces fall together and God can reign in your life. And it's like, good grief. It's like, it's really a great point. And I don't know that many people think that way. That's why I read him, because every once in a while there's this nugget that you pull out. And he said... Today, I'm practicing the discipline of not having to get the last word. That's kind of a beautiful thing. You know, there's this old saying, a bulldog can whoop a skunk, but it's just not worth it. And sometimes, it's just not worth it to get into these arguments and these fights and all that, thing, all that kind of thing. And so, uh, am I going to be, that's the question, next question, will I abide with Jesus? The, the question isn't can I, because you can the question is, will I? Will I abide with Jesus so that gentleness, his gentleness becomes my gentleness? Can I be gentle like Jesus? Because I want you to think about Jesus just for a second. Um, he, in fact, he, he talks to us about, about himself. He, he says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am... What's the word he uses? I'm gentle and humble in heart. I mean, he's gentle. He, he, it's on his resume. If Jesus had a resume, it would say, you know, gentle. That's what he is. And he says to us that we can be like he is. I heard one time about this obnoxious guy that he needs a personality transplant. I think it was about me, actually, now that I think about it. But anyway, uh, that's, that's irrelevant to the point. Um, we all kind of need a personality transplant. And, and Jesus says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you can be gentle and humble you can take that yoke you can a, a yoke is what the animals use to pull a plow you can be like jesus but part of being like jesus is being gentle and humble because he is gentle and humble and he is full of love joy peace patience and all those things that we've been talking about and he is gentle now, how will it be seen in a person's life? Well, three ways gentleness will be seen. If I abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in me, then first, it'll be gentleness of actions. I will act gently. Look at what Isaiah says about God's activity toward us. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I don't know a lot about shepherding. I've seen some movies, and there was that little pig movie about the shepherd, and that was kind of fun. I, uh, what was that? I don't remember that one either. But anyway, uh, the, the pig that was kind of herding the sheep, that was kind of cool. Babe, is that what that was? Um, but here's what I know about shepherds and sheep. I've done a little reading on it, and sometimes little, little lambs need attention. They need care. The mother might have gotten off someplace, or uh, the mother could be uh, injured in childbirth and that kind of thing, or die. And so lambs need care. And I love the picture of this, is that he gathers these lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Now you've probably seen that picture of, of Jesus, and he had a lamb around his neck, and that was a little older lamb, and so sometimes they carried him around their necks. And, and that was also a sweet picture because... There's an idea that Jesus is caring for them gently. As a dad, you know, I've, I'm a dad of daughters. It's really interesting. I've never been a dad of sons, and so I don't know exactly what that's like. But I do know that a dad's word to his daughter is, can be crushing. You have to be gentle as a father. I've not always been that. 
I have said things to my girls and you can see them wilt. I have failed in that sometimes. I do better now. You know, you learn from mistakes. You don't have to be that way. This verse helps me a little bit. You know, they need to be treated gently. Now, sometimes, sometimes they need a firmer hand. But oftentimes, they just need something gentle. Um, Self-centered people are rarely gentle. What I have noticed about when I was too harsh, a lot of times that was about me and not them and not what's best for them. Gentleness is just a whole lot about thinking about the other person. I'm going to treat you like I want to be treated. I'm going to treat you the best way I can. I'm going to treat you in a certain way because I love you and I care about you and I want what's very, very best for you. That's what gentleness does. You know, pity, a lot of people have pity parties. The only problem with the pity party is you're the only one that comes and there aren't any presents. So, you know, you really don't want to be focused on yourself all the time. And gentleness kind of takes us away from ourselves. And we see occasionally Jesus gets upset. But I can only think of one time Jesus got upset with his people. Look at this. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. Uh, a rabbinic blessing, a, a blessing of a rabbi is really a big deal. And so, uh, one of the things we do at our church is uh, twice a year, once a year, it depends on how many kids we have, we do a, a child or baby dedication, and parents will come on stage, and I will offer them a blessing. I'll pray a prayer over them, and that's kind of what they're talking about here. There were families who brought their kids to Jesus. They, they liked Jesus. They thought he was... A great teacher and a, a wonderful uh, leader. And so they wanted a blessing from the rabbi on their children. They were bringing their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. It was almost like they were saying, do you, do you know who he is? I mean, that's Jesus. He is really, really popular right now. He's hot. You know, he's, he's really popular. And he doesn't have time for this blessing stuff. I mean, they, they were trying to, do, to take care of Jesus, maybe. But in their rebuke, there's some selfishness. Maybe they were being selfish, like, you know, he doesn't have time for you because he has, he has to give his time to us. Or he's more important than that because we're more, that means that we're more important than that. We don't have time for this petty child blessing stuff. We've got big things to do. We've got people to feed. We've got folks to heal. We've got things to do. Look at Jesus' response. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. Only time I can think of in Scripture where he was angry with his disciples. And he said to them, Let them come to me. Don't stop them. The kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these kids. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads. And he did exactly what the parents wanted him to do. He offered them a blessing. Gentleness means you don't use your strength just for yourself. You use your strength. See, Jesus had an ability to bless. He was in a position to bless. One of the, one of the th- interesting things about being a pastor is sometimes you're put in position, uh, you have a, an authority or, um, I don't know the exact word, um, you're, you're put in a place because you represent the church. You're, you're a representative of the church. And it took a long time for me to f- figure out that was a really important deal, and I should honor that. Um, 
so sometimes you you go do things and and you you, you know um, I've been I've been to events that I really didn't want to go to, but you go to that because you're representing the church. And Jesus, he understood. He's he's representing God, and he's the one who's going to bless them. And it was a really really big deal for them. The other way, another way that we're gentle and our gentleness will be seen is in our reactions. Uh, we can plan our actions. We can't always plan our reactions. And things happen to us. I heard somebody say one time, life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of what you do with it. And so we have to learn, have to have an ability to react well. Now, Paul was this arrogant, um, he was a uh, kind of a uh, religious terrorist before he became a Christian. He hunted down Christians, and so then he had this amazing encounter with Jesus, and he starts churches. Jesus changes his life, and he begins to plant churches. And he plants one in a town called Corinth, and it is a dysfunction. <laughs> they put the fun in dysfunction. I mean, they are very dysfunctional, and they have crazy things going on. And Paul writes them at least four letters that we know of. We only have two in, that we have been uh, kept, uh, but he wrote at least four letters to uh, Corinth because they needed correction, and he was kind of trying to steer the ship. He started the church, and then he left, and then he wrote them letters and tried to get them back up to speed. And in one of the letters, he writes this, What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love and gentle spirit? See, he, he was like, hey guys, I can do either. Which do you prefer? I think it's really, really interesting. Peter, who was one of Jesus' best friends, writes about him. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Jesus modeled this for his disciples. So there was a, a time in ministry, it's found in Luke 9, where... Um, the, the disciples are going to go through a region called Samaria. Okay, so let's go back to the history just a little bit. You have the Jews, and they are sort of pure. They think of themselves as pure. Only Jew would marry a Jew. But if a Jew married a Gentile, then they, had, uh, they were called Samaritans. They were kind of, I mean, for, for, let me be indelicate just for a second. They were kind of half-breed people. And, and so um, it was... The Jews didn't like them because the Jews, a, a true Jew wouldn't have anything to do with a Gentile, much less marry one, much less have kids with one. And so you can see, all right, now I'm a, a Jew and there are these lesser Jews, these Samaritans. They didn't like each other. They were very conflicted with one another. I mean, we have, we have sporting rivalries, and I, and I get all that. Um, but these people really had quite a distaste for one another. And so one time, Jesus was traveling through Samaria. By the way, some of his greatest encounters were with Samaritans. Jesus treated everybody the same. It's really kind of interesting how he does this. And so he sort of pushes off this idea that Jews are better than everybody else. He uh, just had interactions with everyone. The woman at, at, at a well, she was a Samaritan, and he has this conversation with her. Anyway, they were going through the towns, and they, um, they come upon a Samaritan village, and they're trying to secure some food, the disciples are, and there was a sign in the window, no shirts, no Jews, no service. And so, that's funny, I don't care who you are, that's good, that's good. Uh, they wouldn't serve them, 
And so, um, Jesus had a couple of guys on his team. They were called the Sons of Thunder, James and John. And uh, this is what they say. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? <laughs> you talk about overreaction. Uh, it's like, dude, it's a meal. You know? <laughs> it's like, you know, Wendy's is closed. Okay, uh, it's no big deal. It, it was interesting, this level of animosity they had to the Samaritans, the sons of thunder. That's the way they're going to get. And we have this tendency to gravitate toward petty revenge. We, we get done wrong, and so we want to do somebody else wrong. I heard about a little boy named Jack, and he was four or five years old, and he starts to scream. His mother comes in. Well, his two-year-old sister has him by the hair, and she's pulling. And the mother gently, you know, releases the little girl's hands, and she says to Jack, Jack, he, she just didn't know that hurts. And he's kind of, you know, kind of mad about it. And she walks out of the room, and the next thing you know, the little girl's crying. The mom comes back in, and Jack said, now she knows. Uh, we, we like stories like that, right? Revenge, we, we sort of have this tendency to like the notion of it. But we have to understand, people are fragile. And, and Jesus, by the way, rebuked James and John and said, guys, we're just going to walk on and go to the next village. We're, we're not calling down fire to annihilate people. They literally wanted to burn people alive. They wanted to call down fire like from Sodom and Gomorrah. Could Jesus have done that? Well, sure, Jesus can do anything. But he just he basically said to, them, to his guys, boys, come on now. I think he literally said, come on now. We, we gotta, we, we're just going to go on. That's, we're not doing that. That's not who we are. That's not who we are. But revenge is appealing. I'm going to show you a video clip from a movie called Invictus. I don't know if you've seen it or not. I don't know that I can even recommend it. I don't remember it well enough to remember if it's uh, like family-friendly. I don't think uh, it's uh, too bad. Uh, I believe uh, Clint Eastwood was the director of this, and it's about Nelson Mandela. And to understand the context of this particular scene, let me just set it up for you in about a minute. Apartheid was rampant when Mandela lived in South Africa. He was jailed for the color of his skin and nothing else. Uh, he was in prison, I believe, 20-something or 30-something years, a long time. And for 13 of those years, he wasn't given the privilege of having even pajamas. Those were, that was reserved for only people with white skin. And so for about 13 years, he had no cot, no, um, no pajamas. He laid on a damp, cold floor at night and went to sleep. He was allowed to write one letter every six months. He was allowed one visitor every year for a half hour. If there was ever a person who had the right, if you will, to be vindictive, it would have been Mandela. A new president comes into power named de Klerk. He uh, sets Mandela free. And within a year, Mandela becomes president now again you go from a jail cell where you're treated inhumanely 
for years and years and years. And now you are the president. You have all the power to, to enact every measure of revenge that you want. The parliament becomes black. They have the power. And they make a decision about a rugby team. And you, you, we're sports people, so you kind of get how this works. The South Africans had a rugby team, and rugby is huge in South Africa. They're called the Springboks, which, by the way, is like a deer. And their colors were gold and green. And the parliament voted to disband the Springboks, sort of as an act of defiance to the Afrikaners, who were the white, um, had been the white ruling class. And Mandela comes to the parliament to offer another option. And that's what we're going to see here. Please, welcome President Mandela. decision with insufficient information and foresight. I am aware of your earlier vote. I am aware that it was unanimous. Nonetheless, I believe we should restore the spring box. <laughs> Restore their name, their emblem, and their colors immediately. Let me tell you why. On Robin Island, in Polesmoor Prison, all of my jailers were Afrikaners. For 27 years, I studied them. I learned their language, read their books, their poetry. I had to know my enemy before I could prevail against them. And we did prevail, did we not? All of us here, we prevailed. Our enemy is no longer the Africana. They are our fellow South Africans, our partners in democracy. And they treasure Springbok rugby. If we take that away, we lose them. We prove that we are what they feared we would be. 
We have to be better than that. We have to surprise them with the compassion, with restraint and generosity. I know all of the things they denied us. But this is no time to celebrate petty revenge. This is the time to build our nation using every single brick available to us. Even if that brick comes wrapped in green and gold. You elected me your leader. Let me lead you now. Powerful, huh? How we respond is so important to our witness. I loved what he said. If we enact petty revenge, we are going to be what they thought we would be. What they feared we would be. Being a Christian, abiding in Christ, means we do things differently than what most people how most people behave. We behave differently than most people. It's just who we are. It's who we're called to be. The third thing is this. We'll be gentle with our words. The Proverbs say a gentle answer will turn away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I was at um, Lowe's or Home Depot, one of the big box stores the other day, waiting for paint and uh, I was standing beside a couple of guys who were discussing their painting job, and one guy was just cussing a blue streak, and I thought to myself, good grief, there are people around, and everybody can hear you, and children are walking through, and you're just using language that is gutter language. That's just not who we are. And it's not how we respond. I mean, even how you say things is important. How many of you, there's a couple of ways to say excuse me. Uh, there's excuse me and there's excuse me. I mean, there's, it's the same words. It's just how you say it. I learned a little poem when I was a kid. I'm careful with the words I say. I make them nice and sweet because I never know from day to day which ones I'll have to eat. Uh, we have to be gentle even with our words. James put it this way. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is the flame of fire. There's not one forest fire that ever started as a forest fire. They all start as a spark. And so we have to be gentle in our words, with our leadership. I'm a basketball fan more than a football fan, and so um, I appreciate great coaching and uh, great teams uh, the greatest college coach would be John Wooden. I mean, he won. He did something I don't think will ever be replicated. I think they won uh, seven championships in a row. I have it written down. Seven in a row they won. Um, he won 10 out of 12 years, the national championship. Wooden was noted for his gentleness. Uh, the worst thing he was ever <laughs> heard saying was, my goodness gracious, that was as bad as it ever got. He was gentle but firm. He had a player, you may have heard of him by the name of Bill Walton. Bill Walton was an All-American. In fact, he was Player of the Year. And he came back for the next season. And um, Wooden had a rule about facial hair and about long hair. And it had to be short. And you had no facial hair. And 
Uh, Walton comes into practice first day of the season, and he has a long, shaggy uh, hair and a beard. And John Wooden comes to him and says, Bill, you know the rule. And Walton said to him, but coach, um, you know there's really nothing wrong with long hair and a beard, and you, you really, you, sh- you shouldn't, you can't really tell us how we can look. And Wooden in wisdom said, Bill, you're right. I cannot tell you how to look. But I do decide who gets to play. It's been nice having you on the team. That is, that is gold. Walton says he sprinted <laughs> out of the gym, got on his bike, went to the first barbershop he could find. He told the guy to just buzz his head, he didn't care what it looked like, and to give him a razor, and he shaved his face <laughs> without water. Um, and got back, he said, I got back five minutes late to practice and hoped that wouldn't, Coach Wooden wouldn't notice. Gentleness doesn't mean that you're a pushover. I want to end with a couple of things I learned just this week. There's an author by the name of Erwin McManus. He wrote a book called The Genius of Jesus. I'm not quite finished with it the first time through, but it's already on my reread list. The Genius of Jesus. It's brilliant. And he talks about this teaching of Christ where he said, you've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Again, let's take context just for a second. Jesus is saying this to Jews who live in an occupied country. All right? It's really important to get this. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and, you're, and they take your, shirt, your shirt is taken from you, give your coat also. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Uh, Get to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. And we read that and it's like, oh, that's nice. It's sort of pleasant. Well, it's not nice and it's not pleasant. And we have these expressions, go the extra mile and turn the other cheek. Okay, in Jesus' context when he says this, he's saying this, and think about this, young testosterone-filled boys, he's saying to them, if you're slapped on the cheek, and he's speaking specifically about Roman soldiers and their interaction with Jewish men. And in order to preserve their dignity, Jesus gives them away. And I love this quote. You may not always feel free to do less than is being demanded, but you are always free to do more. Let's take these three things. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek as well. A Roman soldier could not provoke uh, an Israelite to fight, but he, could, he couldn't just like uh, hurt somebody, but he could slap them. And you can imagine a Roman soldier walking down the street seeing a Jewish young man, he could slap him. And the idea was he was hoping that there would be such a reaction that the, the Roman soldier could then pummel him, if not kill him. This was the animosity into which Jesus said these things. And I can't imagine what the first century audience felt when they heard these words. I can't imagine what a young man would think when Jesus says, if a Roman soldier, basically if a Roman soldier slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other cheek as well. This wasn't theoretical. This happened. This was practical advice 
from the greatest teacher of all time. And then when he says this, if you're sued in court, your shirt is taken from you, give your coat as well. We're, we're, we're to do more. The Jews hated the tax collectors. The tax collectors were Jews that worked for the uh, Romans. Uh, they had to collect a certain amount of taxes for the Romans, and then anything over was theirs. And so they were brutal. They were like the Sopranos. I mean, they were just like a mafia. And Jesus said, man, if they take your shirt, just give them your coat too. You're not allowed to give less, but you can give more. And then when he says this one, uh, if a soldier demands you to carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. They could demand you to carry it a mile. In the first century, the soldiers often sort of uh, functioned as a courier. They would carry mail from one place to the next. They would put these big packs uh, on their horses, 60, 70, 80 pounds. If they saw a Jewish young man, usually they wouldn't do this to women, but if they saw a young man, they would demand he walk a mile with them. You're thinking, I was thinking, how do they know what a mile was? The Roman Jewish road system was intricate. You've heard the expression, all roads lead to Rome. They had this amazing road system. They had mile markers, so you would know how far you had to carry the load. Think of the embarrassment, the humiliation. I'm a young Jewish man, and this soldier is making me carry a load I do not want to carry for people I do not like. And the walk of humiliation is one mile out and one mile back. And Jesus says, hey, they make you walk a mile, walk two. When you get to the mile marker, say, um, no, I'm good. Us Jews are known for our strength and our endurance. I'll go two miles. You may not always feel free to do less, but you're always free to do more. It's brilliant. It's just brilliant. So I want to issue a challenge. Let's make this meek week. And no kidding, I was working on this sermon and I get a phone call. I just had typed, let's make this meek week. I get a phone call. It's one of those sales calls, you know, you know the kind. It's meek week, and I get a phone call. It's like, Argh. And uh, it's from a guy who's, obviously his language, his first language isn't English, and he's trying to sell me something. And I hung up rudely because it wasn't meek week yet. Uh, but, uh, uh, but now if it happens, I'll have to be different. You know, I'll be different, but... No, I mean, I, it, was, it, was, it was really interesting. It's like, hey, this is an opportunity for you. And so I talked to him as best I could. I couldn't quite understand what he was saying most of the time. And I just tried to nicely get off the phone because I, I couldn't understand not only what he was selling, but I certainly didn't want it. And so, meek week. People are fragile. Everybody we meet needs a gentle touch. So let's take the challenge this week to be people who treat people the way Jesus would treat them, with care, with gentleness. Lord, I thank you for this lesson today, what you're teaching us and how you're growing us. Help us, Father, to be people who love you and who serve you and who are obedient to your calling in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.